Chapter Forty Four of Kit and Kitty by Richard Doddridge Blackmore. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Forty Four Met Again. Hotchpot Hall has been a fine old place, as any one would say who looks at it, and it would have been a fine place still if the owners had been of like quality. It taketh its name, says an old county book, from a very ancient rule of law that if sisters be in coparsonary, as heiresses to landed estate, and one of them hath from the same source a several estate by frank marriage, she shall, as is just and seemly, bring that into hotchpot, which signifieth a mixture for a pudding, ere ever she can enjoy rights with the rest. Whether that be correct or otherwise is far beyond my power to say, for I know not what frank marriage is, nor for the matter of that coparsonary, but at any rate there stands the house, which savours in some degree of a pudding, being built of many-coloured stones, and the people for several generations have taken their name from this old place, though it stands in the midst of a flat and dreary country, with good corn-land spread among desert fens, and fewer and smaller trees than ours, for the glory of Middlesex is the noble elms, yet the house has the advantage of a fine rise towards it, and a wide and open view for many miles across the level. This gives it the air of an important mansion, and one that deserves to be kept in good repair. But for three generations now the owners have been coming down in the world, by reason of bad times, as they themselves declared, but as anybody else would say, of their own badness, till the last successor had scarcely the right to call himself the owner. Sir Cumberlay Hotchpot was of good descent, if name may stand for nature, on his mother's as well as his father's side, for his mother had been Lady Frances Cumberlay, the daughter of a North Country Earl, but she had brought no increase to the family estates and had rather assisted to lessen them. And her son had pursued the same course by gambling and a dissipated and rambling life. It was only by sufferance now that he dwelt, when he fled from London creditors in one wing of the old house, till someone could be found who would take it upon a repairing lease, for it could not be sold to advantage. This baronet was cunning, though he was not wise, and in spite of all misfortune he relied on little tricks to keep himself going, while he still hoped to indulge in devices on a larger scale and fetch himself round. He took good care to reap his gains with the keenest promptitude, while he left his losses to be gleaned by very tardy process, and this had tended more than once to impair his popularity. Sam Henderson came and said to me while I was thinking what next to do, after getting the better of one enemy, Would you like to see old crumbly pots? Sam had been making money lately and scorned anybody who could not pay up. It might do some good and can do no harm. He's ducking his head among his moats and murs because he was hard hit at Ascot. He owes me five ponies. He was ass enough to back that cur Sylvester, a nag who lays his ears back the moment he is collared. I'm pretty flush now, and I don't care to squeeze him, but I'm going to the July for one more spree before being tethered finally. He won't dare to show his mug there, but you and I could toddle on to his earth afterwards. I told Sam plainly that I did not understand the meaning of his overture, but he only replied, Then the more fool you. Can you understand this? I'm going to the July meeting in Newmarket, where the best two-year-olds of the season come out, and you may see five or six of old Chalker's string. 
It would do you a deal of good to see them, and take your mind off your own hat, though you don't know a racehorse from your old spanker. If you like to come with me, I will stand Sam, according to the meaning of my name and nature. I shall make another hat full of money there for cockering up the bridesmaids and that sort of thing, and after that we might rout up old Hotchpot. I perceived that Sam's meeting was most friendly, and after consulting Uncle Corney, who thought I had sadly wanted change of scene and a little more experience of the world, I arranged to go with Sam to headquarters, as he called it, and after the racing should be over to proceed to Hotchpot Hall in Lincolnshire, Sam could procure me admittance there, and I longed to come face to face with my old rival. With the racing I was pleased, as any man must be, at beholding noble animals and hoping that the best of them may win, of the thousand guiles and wiles that defraud them of fair play, I was happy enough to know nothing and believe that the two legs across them were as honest as their four. Yet I wondered sometimes, and it proved how little one may judge of quality by appearance, and how true the holy scriptures are when the horse that seemed likely to be last came first. Of Sam I saw little, for he was too busy going the round both of stables and of houses, informing opinion less by eyes than ears, and most of all by his own conscience, which told him how he would have acted in the position of the rest. Sam had a conscience not only nimble but extremely sensitive, which enabled him to judge that of other sporting men perhaps less highly gifted. For these he charitably made allowance, forgiving their defects when he pocketed their money. "'I've not done so badly,' he said on Friday night. I made a fine hit through old Roper. That old chap is worth a mint to me, for I know every twist of his grand old mind. The professionals were cocksure that Columbine was meant, and she should not have lost if she had been. How much have you won, Kit? I put you up neatly. You might have made a hundred without risk of a hair. Well, I only bet half a crown, and that I lost. I think Spanker could have beaten most of them. They don't seem to me to go at any pace at all. That is what a greenhorn always thinks. If you were on their backs, you would soon find out the difference. Well, let's have some supper and be off by the night mail. But you look queer. Have you met anyone you know, old chap? Not a soul that I know, except Mr. Chalker, and I only know him by sight. But this afternoon I saw a face that I have seen before, though I have no idea who the owner is. I looked for you to tell me, but I could not find you. "'Very likely not. I went to see the saddling. "'You seem in a way about it. What makes you take it up so?' "'Upon this I told Henderson about the man who gazed at me so "'through the clipped arbor vita, "'and that now I had seen the same man in the throng on the heath "'and could swear to him anywhere. "'At first he was inclined to laugh and thought I must have dreamed it. "'But seeing how serious and positive I was, "'he naturally asked how it was I let him go, "'without at least ascertaining who he was.' I told him that I had done my best, and that I believed the man knew me, for our eyes met point-blank until he turned his away. And then I pushed through the crowd to seize him, but a fat man on horseback came clearing the course, and a rush of some hundreds of people swept us back, and when I could get out of it, the man disappeared. I described him and his dress to the best of my ability, then Sam gave a whistle and said, I don't think it can be. "'He can scarcely have been here without my knowledge.' "'You recognize him? Who is he?' I asked with some excitement. "'Don't keep it back, Sam. It is most important to me.' 
Well, the face and the hat and the green pearl and the scarf pin remind me uncommonly of Downy Bullrag, though I do not know him very well, and it can hardly be. He is out of England, I am told, and if he had been here, I should have met him in the ring, for he always comes to bet, and he is a very deep file, though he knows very little of racing. He comes to invest for old pot sometimes, and it is the only time pot ever makes any money. But he may have gone off when he saw me, I said. He would hardly dare to run the risk of meeting me again. Wouldn't he? It would take ten of you to drive him. Downy Bullrag is the coolest hand I ever came across. I gave him a wide berth myself, for there is nothing but bad luck to be made out of him. He is worse than his mother a thousand times, and everybody knows what she is. And I'm very glad you missed him, for he would have had the best of you. Would he indeed? I exclaimed rather hotly. I am not a milksop, Sam, and I fear no man on earth when I have reason to believe that he has wronged me. You are strong enough, Kit, Sam returned with some contempt. We are all aware of that, my friend. You are stronger, I dare say, than Downy Bullrag, although he is no chicken. But he is one of the first boxers in England. He has made a hobby of it. He can hold his own with the biggest prize fighters. He could double you up before you got near him. And it's not only that, my boy. Likely enough he would not have touched you, for he never loses his temper, they say. He would have had you up before the bench tomorrow. He can always put anybody in the wrong. Then how should we have gone on tonight? Now it was a lucky thing that you got no chance to tackle him, supposing it was Downey, which I scarcely can believe. All the fellows are gone who could have told me, but I dare say I shall find out in London. Now let us have some grub, or we shall miss our train. Sam Henderson's words sent me pondering deeply. I had not intended to assault that stranger, whoever he might be, but just to bring him to a halt and make him tell me who he was and what he meant by coming on the slide of my uncle's garden and watching me in that peculiar manner. Now I felt pretty certain as to who he was, in spite of the difficulties Sam had found about it. If my description tallied so closely with that of Donovan Bullrag, it was likely to be no one else who had come so to spy upon me, for there was the motive at once made plain. The man who had robbed me of my wife would naturally come to see how I bore it, to learn perhaps what sort of adversary I was, and to gloat upon my lonely misery. I felt delighted when I called to mind that I had indulged in no sighs or soliloquy that evening, but worked away steadily and even cheerfully, whistling every now and then for company to myself. My deadly enemy could not say, Poor devil, how miserable he looks! And then why should I have such a bitter enemy? I had never done harm to this bullrag, except by marrying a young lady upon whom he had set his wicked heart, but who never would have had him, whatever he had done. And again I had defied his mother and thrown her into one of her furious fits, but even if he had heard of that, it could not have moved him to any great wrath. From all I had heard he was not so very deeply attached to his mother, and he must know, as everybody else did, how little was enough to infuriate her. As I thought of all these things in the train, with Sam Henderson snoring, or rather roaring in his sleep, like a celebrated horse who had won a race that day. The only conclusion I could come to was that my case was more mysterious than ever, that some fiendish trick had been played upon my wife and me. But how, and why, and by whom, was more than my simple, half-educated country wits could discover as yet, or perhaps at any future time. Nevertheless, I resolved to go on and get to the end of it, 
whether round or square, whether it might be another sweet circle of happiness or a coffin. And in this state of mind, being lifted for the moment out of the body by the hoisting of the mind, I set my hands together, for it was a first-class carriage and there was room to do it, though it seemed to me a showy thing upon the part of Sam, when the third-class tickets would have done as well, and I prayed to the Lord, which I had not done lately, having found it lead to nothing, that he would interfere and not allow everything to be under the control of the evil one. After that I felt better, for faith is a fruit-tree, which requires in a common soil the choicest cultivation. Here we are, cried Sam, who could sleep by the mile and be wide awake at the direction post. Just look to our bags while they see about a trap. We have five miles to drive when we put up at old Cranky's. There we have a shakedown, and I fare to want it, as the folk in this part of the world express it. They all know me here, and they have a black mare who can travel. For five miles we drove through a sleepy-looking land with scarcely anybody yet astir, but a multitude of birds quite wide awake and then we put up at a wayside inn where Sam seemed, as usual, to be well known. He told me to take it easy, and he set a fine example, for he very soon peopled the house with his sleep, while I wandered about to see how the land lay. Potts is never up till twelve o'clock, Sam explained at breakfast time. So you see, we may just well keep our hay and cocks. I say, Cranky, he addressed the landlord, who was coming in and out, having no maid to attend to us. "'What's his name been coming down this way lately? "'Fancy we saw something of him yesterday?' "'No, sir, not a sign of him since you was here last. "'They don't seem to hit it off together as they did. "'Leastways, that was what my missus heard. "'More chance of honest people coming by their due. "'How much does Sir Cumberley owe you, Cranky? "'Take thy bill and write down quickly.' "'Lor, sir, it would take a week to make it out, "'and what good would come of it when done? "'Sir Cumberley never pays nobody.' no more than his father before him. It were vain on my part to attempt to express the long-suffering of Mr. Cranky's drawl. These are wonderful fellows, Sam declared aloud to me while the landlord looked at him as if to say, and so are you, and then turned to me to see if I were likewise. They never seem to expect to get their money from their betters, as they call them. That cock would never fight in our part of the world. Any lady been down at the hall this summer, Cranky? I mean anyone who has never been before? You need not be afraid of telling me, you know. I am an old friend of Sir Cumberley. This question was put in such a common sort of way that I dropped my knife and fork and looked furiously at Sam, for I knew what he meant, and it appeared to me too bad. No, sir, answered Cranky, leaning over him confidentially as if he were uncertain about speaking before me. None but the two has come last winter, and not so very much of them. My missus did hear as Sir Cumberley were going to pull up and to enter into holy matrimony with a beautiful young lady from London town, as had sixty thousand pounds of her own, and then we should all be paid on the nail in full, and the hall was to be made new, and I know not what. But I said it was too good to be true, and so it seemeth. Hope forever, good Cranky. Hope can do no harm to the hotchpot arms. But how goes the time? We are going to call upon this reformed gentleman as soon as he is up. End of chapter 44